Hey, Rarecast listeners, I wanted to tell you about a new program from Global Genes called Data DIY. Access to data is essential for advancing the understanding and treatment of rare diseases. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is to be as savvy about data as researchers and clinicians. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to become empowered data owners and stewards. If you'd like to learn more about the program, attend an upcoming Data DIY workshop, or view resources, go to globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. no clear agreement as to what constitutes a rare disease, the actual number of rare diseases, and how individual rare diseases are defined. The lack of clarity on the matter is not just an academic issue. The consequences of this, say researchers, is that it slows the diagnostic process and impedes the development of needed therapies for these conditions. In a recent commentary in the journal Nature Review's Drug Discovery, Melissa Handel and her co-authors discussed their efforts to characterize, define, and harmonize the definitions of rare diseases through the Monarch Disease Ontology Initiative. We spoke to Handel, Associate Professor of Medical Informatics and Clinical Epidemiology at the Oregon Clinical and Translational Research Institute about the problem with the different way organizations characterize and define rare diseases, the challenges of aligning these definitions, and why harmonization is critical for making progress in diagnosing and treating these conditions. Melissa, thanks for joining us. It's very nice to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. We're going to talk about the world of rare disease, the problem with existing definition of diseases, and why better definitions could lead to better diagnosis and treatment for rare diseases. Let's start with rare diseases themselves. What constitutes a rare disease, and how much agreement is there on that? Well, it's actually a real challenge because different countries and different regions of the world actually define rare differently. Um, some uh, consider something rare when it affects less than 1 in 2,000 people, um, whereas others uh, might define them uh, when it affects less than the fewer total number of people. And so as populations change, those proportional um, definitions for what constitutes rare change. We often hear the number 7,000 rare diseases thrown about as an estimate of the total number of conditions. You believe this may be a significant undercount. Why is that? Well, you know, one of the problems is is that original, um, you know, suggestion for how many potential rare diseases there might be uh, came about originally during the process of the creation of the Orphan Drug Act. Uh, where they were trying to understand better, you know, which diseases would be, you know, most um, benefited by 
um, supporting uh, further development of orphan drugs. But we haven't really updated that number um, really since then. And one of the challenges is that we we actually have different um, disease definitions and different ways of defining diseases um, in different contexts. And so there are a number of different informational sources that aim to describe those diseases, but each one of them takes a slightly different approach to, to those definitions. And just recently, um, in our analysis that we've done in our collaboration with some, many of those organizations, we've actually found that when you um, algorithmically put them all together, that not only are the different organizations um, defining some diseases as unique to those resources, but even the ones that we think might be overlapping um, and the same diseases might actually be related subtypes of the same disease or simply different diseases based upon the specific definitions of those diseases. Any guesses what a true count might be? Um, well, we are we actually are are don't really want to suggest that just yet because we know that we're still at an early stage of this analysis. Uh, but we do know that from our preliminary analysis that you know most estimates or most earlier estimates that date back to the early 80s were around 7,000 or 7,500, and so far as we can tell we seem to be closer to the 10,000 mark. However, that is with the significant caveat that we are, we are working in this collaborative fashion across these different organizations to really do this deep dive um, and reconcile as many of those as possible. And so we anticipate that the actually are, we're hesitant to be quoted on a specific value until the community has come to greater consensus. There are a number of reasons why patients with rare conditions often face a protracted diagnostic odyssey. What role does the way we characterize and define disease play in this? That is actually a very good question. So when we think about these different descriptions, uh, many of them contain pre-text descriptions of, of, of the disease, so describing the particular symptoms, describing um, particular causes, describing uh, specific treatments. Um, and those are actually attributes that can be represented computationally as well. Um, and so our group, um, as part of a program called the Monarch Initiative, has developed um, the human phenotype ontology, which is a basically a, a knowledge artifact, a, a terminology that has very robust logic. And those those terms from the human phenotype ontology represent um, symptoms or phenotypic features of the patient and then can be used to actually compare a given patient's uh, symptoms against the gold standard set of disease definitions. And we've done this for um, a number of different diseases and have used it for diagnostics. But it's still um, in its early stages in the sense that it's focused on the phenotypic features of rare diseases and not on some of those other attributes that I suggested like treatment or um, cause. Uh, and so we know that a more robust representation of like a disease model, a data model for each rare disease that takes all the different attributes into account um, would, would further support not only the alignment of the different disease definitions from these different knowledge providers, but also improve diagnostic tools for, for patients uh, coming to the clinic. 
I want to talk about monarch, but before we do, I want to ask you, do you think the definitional issues also slow the progression towards treatment? And if so, how? Yes, I do, because um, I think when we when we think about some of the drug discovery platforms, we're leveraging a large amount of different types of data together. Um, and when we have a poor representation uh, of the of the rare disease, we have a poorer ability to interrogate those different uh, data resources collectively. And so if we have a better representation of the rare disease, then we have a better ability to classify um, and hopefully identify drug targets um, in that sort of myriad of data resources. How have rare diseases traditionally been defined and as the advent of the various omics moved us from symptom-based or observational, even subjective standards to more molecular-based and causal-based definitions? Uh, well, that's a good question. So, you know, many many rare diseases are genetic diseases, and um, in, in many cases we've identified the actual molecular um, lesion that is causal for those rare diseases. Um, but in other cases we know that they're... Uh, Mendelian inheritance patterns suggest that they're um, an inherited genetic disease, even if we don't know what what the actual causal um, variation in the genome might be. Um, in some cases, we have uh, information about uh, modifier um, genomic uh, elements, so um, and as well as environmental ones. And so, for some rare diseases, there's uh, synergies between specific types of environmental factors and uh, molecular characters uh, that the patient might have as a genetic feature. And so we're getting to be more molecular in our definitions um, as we understand the causes of these diseases. You alluded to the monarch disease ontology. This is an initiative you're helping to lead, which also has the wonderful moniker Mondo. What exactly is Mondo? So what Mondo is, and, and Mondo is really uh, was really initialized by my colleague uh, Chris Mungle uh, at the Lawrence Berkeley National Lab, and you know he created this algorithm that essentially took into account the different uh, disease terminologies, and we have around a dozen of them or so that represented uh, various aspects of diseases, and not all of them are specific to rare disease, but but they all contain rare diseases. And, you know, using a combination of different criteria, the algorithm goes through and figures out which, which disease entities in each of these terminologies are equivalent and creates what we call an equivalence clique. So essentially, if you have a dozen different terminologies and six of them, um, the algorithm might find have a term in common based upon the overall structure of the terminology, based on features of the definition, based on cross-references, based on their labels or their synonyms. Um, and so it takes into account a variety of features to, um, to understand which terms are actually equivalent. And then the, um, the output of that is a probability score for their equivalence. And then for those that we, we find have a low probability, we go through and curate um, the results. And so we look for 
um, what what could be errors uh, in one of the sources or more, uh, one or more sources that would that are sort of blocking our ability to understand the equivalency. And so in many cases, those are errors in the sources. So for example, in one source, they had duplicates where um, alphanumeric um, labels were used in one part of the terminology and Roman numerals were used in another part, but they were actually the same. They just didn't realize that they had duplicated terms. And so this this results in issues with counting, but also um, issues with different definitions because you might have different information associated with those terms if you've accidentally duplicated them. Who else is involved in the effort? So um, one of the wonderful things about the the Mondo project is that it's really leveraging the wealth of information that is available um, from the different uh, genetic um, databases and terminologies that have already been developed. And Mondo does not aim to replace any of those, but rather aims to help them work more as a holistic um, set of resources together. And uh, we've we've uh, been fortunate enough to to have a a little award that has allowed us to bring everyone together from these different communities and really initialize this effort. Um, and so some of the main um, contributors to date have been um, the online Mendelian inheritance in man uh, resource, which has been around for over fifty years, um, documenting. Is that Omen? Uh, Mendelian, OMIM has been documenting Mendelian diseases. Um, we had um, contributors from the Orphanet uh, platform, which is a European um, initiative to document rare diseases. We had uh, um, a lot of contri- we've had a lot of contribution from the ClinGen resource, um, which has been also working on curating gene disease um, uh, definitions and really trying to classify. Uh, specific genetic diseases in, in, in particular areas, and they have these expert panels that are going through the different terminologies and trying to create those disease models, like understanding what are the differences in treatment, what are the differences in molecular causes, and in order to decide uh, which diseases are unique versus which ones should be sort of divided into multiple definitions. Um, and then we also have a uh, great contribution from the National Cancer Institute's thesaurus um, and their semantic infrastructure team, uh, where in particular in cancer, they have spent more than 20 years working on disease definitions in cancer, which are um, a little bit different than um, some of the other types of rare disease definitions because they specifically have to focus on not only the molecular lesions, um, but also the evolution of those lesions um, where um, neoplasms uh, often, um, you know, exhibit variation over time in a given patient. And so, um, and then different responses to treatment as well. And so, um, understanding a, a global representation of rare disease necessarily needs to take into account some of those more complex issues that we see in cancer. It seems like a lot of the folks involved in Mondo are computational biologists or bioinformaticists and the like. Is this a data problem? Is is what you're seeking to do a data solution? Um, well, you know, it's actually, a, I would say, a partnership between uh, some some really deeply knowledgeable clinicians at those different resources, 
uh, computational biologists and computer scientists, um, uh, and as well as biocurators who really, you know, help, you know, evaluate and, and um, review the actual outputs of, of this work. Uh, and so it takes kind of three different types of people, I would say, working together um, in a collaborative way in order to create uh, what we hope will be, um, you know, a much more um, computationally useful resource, but also one that can really be delivered to those clinicians um, with the foundation and clarity of their definitions that they've, you know, uh, in the past not really had in hand. Is there an agreed-upon way to define a rare disease? Do you have to build some consensus about that? How do you go about defining a rare disease? Well, that is, uh, that is a good question, and I would say there's, there's two answers to that. Well, three, maybe. Uh, one, one is the, the first thing I started with is just, you know, what constitutes rare um, and getting the globe to actually agree upon a single way of describing rare so that it's not rare in one country and, and um, rare in another. Um, also, there's ethnographic um, differences, so, you know, different um, different regions, a, a disease might be rare in different regions or in dis- different ethnic groups. Um, so, for, exa- for example, Tay-Sachs is rare in the general popula- population, but is um, quite, is much less rare in Ashkenazi Jews, right? And so, similarly, other kinds of diseases like tuberculosis is rare in the United States, but is one of the top 10 diseases of death worldwide. So, so we have to take into account those regional and, and ethnic, um, uh, background uh, information in defining rare. Um, the second thing is just how we go about defining, um, the diseases themselves is actually a governance problem. Um, and I, I think it's, uh, you know, part of what the Mondo project aims to do is to create consensus about um, the strategy for actually doing this. So, you know, that we don't want it to be such that the computational biologists define these things in isolation. It really has to be the partnership amongst those three groups, the clinicians, um, the computational biologists, and the curators together, as well as, you know, the ability to have the community give us feedback. And so part of what the project is doing is creating a a robust governance process um, that will help support community-level decision-making about what constitutes um, a disease. And this is um, based on some early work that was coordinated by the ClinGen group called the Lumping and Splitting Group, um, which uh, aimed to really, you know, really help um, define some characteristics for when when should we merge two diseases for when should we um, split them? And it's based upon different aspects of whether or not there's a different molecular mechanism, whether or not there's a different treatment, whether or not there's a, a common, um, a, you know, a common variant and these kinds of things. And so, um, we're, you know, that's kind of part of the foundation of, of what constitutes the governance over um, deciding when, when to define a rare disease. You're working with a lot of people that are already cataloging these diseases. Uh, I don't want to suggest there can be egos at play here, but how do you work to solve the problem rather than adding to the confusion? Uh, that's a really good question, and I think um, you know it. It hasn't been so. It's not an easy challenge. Um, people, especially when they've spent years creating 
um, resources um, or you know platforms um, you know are, are quite invested in 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 their work and and we are no different than anyone else in that regard but I think that there's a genuine um, uh, dedication for all of the people involved to you know helping solve some of the world's greatest problems here uh, you know really improving rare disease diagnosis and um, uh, drug discovery and and uh, and care for for rare disease patients who are often underserved uh, worldwide, and so I think that that shared um, dedication really brings people together. I think also just a recognition that um, we we now live in a in a more computational era where very uh, the society uh, you know writ large is becoming more data driven, and and can we actually work together across? you know, bringing our different skill sets together to actually make all of the work that we're doing matter more. Um, and so I think there's uh, finally a recognition amongst this community that we'll be able to better serve more patients better by working together. You recently wrote a commentary in Nature Review's Drug Discovery with 18 co-authors from around the world calling on the World Health Organization, regulators, and and others to adopt a unified definition of rare disease. What role do you think these players can take in helping to harmonize these definitions? Well, I think these are some of the the critical um, contributors. Um, I don't think they're by any means the only contributors that it will take to to realize some of these dreams. Um, we. You know, it is really wonderful to have people from around the world. If if we didn't, we wouldn't really get anywhere very quickly because um, it it really has to ha- bring together different perspectives from, from around the world. Um, you know, rare disease does not um, follow any sort of country boundaries. Um, I think though though that you know one of the things that we are um, probably lacking as we launch this effort uh, are you know, skills in regulatory science um, and in policy development. And so how do we take what we're doing here that is really focused on the sort of clinical utility and the computational utility for developing clinical tools and use that simultaneously to help improve policies for, you know, insurance companies, for regulatory bodies, for public health organizations, for drug discovery priorities and these kinds of things um, that are much more at the sort of country-level government um, decision-making processes. And, and that's something that I think uh, would be, we would really benefit from as we uh, move forward in, in defining these things. You know, going back to that, you know, 1980s Orphan Drug Act, how do we sort of create a new view for something like that, that, that would actually be a global one um, but would but would support the most robust um, processes uh, possible to expedite uh, drug discovery and improve diagnostics and care for, for rare disease patients uh, globally. Melissa Handel, Associate Professor of Medical Informatics and Clinical Epidemiology at the Oregon Clinical and Translational Research Institute, one of the leaders of the Mondo Initiative. Melissa, thanks so much for your time today. Thank you so much, Daniel. It's been really my great pleasure to be here today. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. 
To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. 